Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 139. Today my guest is Alan Hoskins and Alan is the President and National Sales Director of American Farm Mortgage in Lexington, Kentucky. So good to have you back on again on the show again, Alan. Glad to be here, Casey. Thank you for the invitation. Oh man, it's my pleasure. So there is a lot of things going on right now, and I wanted to get a a lender's perspective of of what what they see happening and and what they uh, I guess how you're trying to approach these these new headwinds that we're facing. So we've, we've kind of uh, China's been put to uh, put behind us here. You know, we've got it can't get any worse. So that's 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 that. Um, but now we've kind of entered into an epic. Uh, weather market that is really starting to show uh some pretty good favor to corn uh we've god dang we've run up uh, about a dollar here in the last two or three weeks uh, on the price so things are going pretty well um you know we had some new headwinds pop out the other day here with president trump and his uh tariff on mexico now for a five percent tariff on that so um a lot, a lot of things going on out there right now and, and a lot of things happening so when you're talking with your customers right now and and they're trying to get you know, through this corn planting season this spring and looking at, you know, what soybeans are going to look like in, in, in their, their late fall crops. Um, I guess, how are you, how are you talking to them? And what do you, what do you, what, what kind of advice are you giving them? Well, you know, obviously Casey, there, there's not a one size fits all discussion. For example, in, in our area uh, on, uh, I'm live in Evansville and or live a little bit North of Evansville, Indiana. If you look at the farmers on the Indiana side, based upon some conversations I had last week, they're probably about 75% done. If you look over on the Illinois side, which is where I farm and our farm is located, uh, they're about 10% done. So there's a big variability in what we're seeing as far as planning progress is concerned. But obviously, the things that I'm hearing, Casey, is the the preventive planning issue is coming up, the uncertainty of what the market, the MFP program is going to be, you know, obviously should the uh, situation with China get settled, it appears that there would be less money in that payment potentially. So there's a lot of uncertainty relative to advice. I will say that right now I'm doing a lot of listening and learning where individual producers are in their planting progress. Where are they in their marketing plan? What do their cash rents look like? What kind of obligations do they have there? If they're looking at preventive planning, how much are they looking at? There's a world of scenarios that's out there. I I will say, Casey, the, I continue to be and always have been impressed by the optimism of the American farmer because in all the conversations I've had, I've not had any that 
certainly there there's challenges out there, and they understand that. But certainly not uh, hearing a lot of doom and gloom among producers. It's you know we've we're having a challenging year. We've had challenging years before. Let's figure out the best best way to work through this. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So let's talk about from from your perspective. Let's talk about that prevent plant stuff for a minute. So. When you look at prevent plant and, and mm-hmm. what you're doing there, so we, there, I, you know, you hear stores all over the place. Obviously, the news always gets to the to the worst possible scenario you can see out there. But one thing that's popped up more than once yes. in in that that scenario is that a lot of these folks that are going to take prevent plant, um, what their what their prevent prevent plant payments are going to be more than likely won't cover the cash mm-hmm. rent that they have in in some of the more expensive ground areas. For example, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, yes, in those areas. So. Yes. Talk about that a little bit, and, and how would you go about approaching something like that with a customer of yours? Great question, Casey. The first thing that I'd want to do is sit down with them, and let's look at the operation as a whole, and let's look at the amount of preventive planning they're going to be doing. In situations where they're heavily, heavily dependent upon rented land, and it's on a very high end of the spectrum as far as the amount of premium that, or pardon me, the amount of cash rent, that they're paying, then I would want to sit down with them. Let's look at what the preventive planning claim would be if they went and did not put a crop in after. Let's look at what potentially it would be if they came back and maybe went soybeans instead of corn. Let's look at historically, say they do plant corn after the cutoff date. You know, obviously there is a reduction in indemnity there. I would want to run the numbers with them and let them look at the numbers. Let's take worst case scenario. Let's let's say, Casey, that there's a situation where legitimately they're just not going to be able to plant. Obviously, then the discussion becomes if there's going to be a shortfall due to that. Is that shortfall able to be covered through existing working capital? Potentially, do we need to look at debt restructuring? I think you look at everything from the best case to the worst case scenario with the individual producer, let them see the numbers, work through it with them. Also, the discussion, obviously, I think then continues to how do they have that discussion with their landlords? Do they have potential risk if they're on a year-to-year contract with a landlord if they don't plant something? So I think it's going to require them also potentially having that discussion with their landlord and making sure that everybody is comfortable with the long-term decision that's going to be made here. So how how does that how is that decision, whether it be, I mean, when you're looking at that customer and you're looking at the situation that's there, how is that going to start mm-hmm. kind of driving your decisions that you're going to make long-term for that customer? It depends, Casey, on the individual's farmer's current position. If you have a farmer that they have been sitting on a pretty good working capital position and there is going to be a shortfall and they are truly going to do preventive planning almost across the board, they're not going to be able to get anything in, You know, obviously, if they have working capital to be able to cover that, then, yes, it's obviously a negative on their balance sheet. But 
they still have the ability to move forward. If they have equity, we, we look at the refinancing aspect of it. If, if it's a producer, and hopefully, Casey, if there's any producers out there that, I'm going to use a basketball analogy here, if they're quote-unquote on the bubble as far as being viable ongoing, hopefully that lender that they work with has had that conversation with them previously so that there's not a surprise to them about where their condition their financial condition is. It may also, Casey, be even such that if it appears that the challenge is going to be significant, does it make sense for the producer to look at potentially downsizing the operation some? I think in most cases, Casey, there there's a way to work out of it, but there's not a one-size-fits-all, and that's where the creativity honestly, of the lender is going to become important because the numbers are what they are. But you can always take those numbers and explore all of the options. But again, that lender is going to need to employ some creativity if that farmer's got some financial challenges. That lender's going to need to really employ that creativity to help that farmer weather the storm. All right, so there's plenty of stuff, plenty of opportunity right now. If you if you do are in one of those areas now where you have um, you, where you really have some opportunity, if you have a good you know some crop to sell, right? That you can mm-hmm. you can look at yeah. right now. You look at basis and stuff like that. You know. Right now on the board, yes. I haven't looked at my last alert. We were down ten cents, but we we'd gained back about half of that over overnight. So you're looking about, mm-hmm. or since then, so you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of if you were to go out and sell some stuff today, somewhere in that four forty range. Um, considering basis mm-hmm. and what you have, you could be you know forward contracting some corn at four bucks, and that's that's a lot better situation than we've been here in the last. Well, since the last time it was four dollars, which was this time last year, right? Um, Yes, yes, sir. So, what are some what are some of the uh, conversations you're having with guys now that that might be on that bubble of, man, I'm gonna go ahead and forward contract some, or you know, I'm gonna kind of mm-hmm. buy some hedges or, or whatever they're gonna do, um, some puts and some calls and those kind of things. What, what kind of conversations mm-hmm. are you having with them, and then how are you working with them when it comes to the their marketing plan? Well, first of all, Casey, I hope this scenario was somewhat previously addressed in their written marketing plan that they developed earlier this year when they were putting their numbers together. Because if that written marketing plan was already in place, they've already been moving forward to execute some strategies to be able to lock in some profitability. So, candidly, if we're just now having that type of discussion with a borrower, it probably means there was not an active written marketing plan in place. Or the written marketing plan that did exist has probably not been executed in the way it was intended to be. So I would say in this particular case, farmers are potentially, if they've got some corn in the ground and they've got some good potential that they think to make that crop, they've kind of been given a little bit of a reward for not doing some things that would have been prudent for them to do a couple of months ago. So definitely we would be having that a discussion with that borrower. Basically, it might sound something like, so what is your target sales price? What is your break-even? Obviously, if it's a borrower that we've been working with for an extended period of time, we should already know that. But if it's a new potential prospect, if they know where their break-evens are, 
I think it's a great discussion point as to what what are the limiting factors to keep you from putting some positions in place today to guarantee you some profitability. If they don't know their profitability point, then we back the discussion up a little bit more and started at a little more basic level. And we worked through it so that at the end of the day, Casey, they are the ones making the final decision. You know, a banker should never, and I want to underline that word, never, be telling a farmer, you should be doing X. The banker's role is to work through the numbers with them, have discussions with them in such a way that maybe the producer considers something that they hadn't thought of before. But Casey, the farmer's the one with everything on the line. And the banker's job is to provide them information, provide them suggestions and guidance, but never get to the point of where they say, look, you need to be selling corn today. Because we don't know what the market on corn is going to do. And I think that discussion is extremely important. But also, both the farmer and banker need to be in alignment that the banker serves as an advisor, not a manager. Okay, so there's a there's a lot of technology out there, and we talk about this a lot when you're on, and you kind of look across the landscape right now, and, and especially in, in this environment that we're in right now, um, planner technology, planner speed, you know, placement, all that stuff is actually mm-hmm. probably the most important it's ever been in this yeah. year, you know, more than anything. I think this is a, is, a, is a good selling tool for a lot of equipment guys when you start talking about high-speed planners and those kind of things. So yes. when, when you're looking at technology and you're sitting down talking with a customer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they may not be ready to go to that next level of technology, when you have mm-hmm. that conversation with them, are, have you, are you ever kind of pushing them in the direction of, hey, man, this is a good time for you as your operation grows to start looking at some of this different technology. Do you ever have that conversation with folks? Yeah, absolutely. It, and how typically, Casey, that conversation may sound would be something to the effect of, tell me how you're utilizing the technology that's available today to be, help you be more efficient in your planning. Tell me some of the options that you have on your planner that you feel have been a difference maker in the last couple of years, and more importantly, this year, of being able to either get the crop planted a little more timely or efficiently or with a little better singulation. The first thing that I'd want to do, Casey, is have them kind of explain to me what their theory has been before I start giving any thoughts and advice because, candidly, there there will definitely be situations, Casey, where when I ask that question, what I end up taking away from that meeting is knowledge that I didn't have before. Maybe there's a producer there that's doing something completely different with the technology in his planner that I haven't seen before, and I can then take that and also be able to share that with others or if that producer's on the other end of the spectrum, let's say that they've not been utilized in technology. I can say, well, have you looked at what the possible change in yield would be by increasing your singulation? Have you looked at what your efficiency would be if you're running a little bit higher speed planner? Say you're, you can run at seven miles an hour instead of four. 
that's the exact kind of conversation that I want to have because what I want to do, Casey, is ask the questions first so that I understand where they are because candidly, what I know or what I think doesn't make any difference until I learn where they are. And that to me, and, and I think that whether we're talking about the technology, whether that we're talking about financials, whether we're talking about a potential equipment trade, the first thing I want to do is learn what they're thinking. Because without a doubt, they're the most important person in the process. And it's not, it's not fair to them, very candidly, for me to come in and say, well, have you thought about this or thought about this? When the exact opposite may end up being true, I may be learning from them and have learned from producers and continue to learn from producers about ways of using technology different. But Casey, your point is very, very well-founded. Today, that discussion, in my opinion, is one of the most important discussions that we should be having because there are ways to increase efficiency and increase speed of technology. And I don't ever want producers to be fearful of having the discussion about, hey, I need to trade planters or, hey, I need to modify my existing planter. That's the exact kind of discussion we want to have with producers. Kind of a follow-up question here. When you look at mm-hmm. planter technology or you know, air drill technology or even just horsepower for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. Are you yes. a fan of, and this is a, this is a personal Alan Hoskins opinion question here. <laughs> so are you more of a fan of bigger and faster or try to just do more, like for example, on an exact emerge planner, right? Let's just say that you do, mm-hmm. you ran a 24 row 1770 that was just, you know, the, 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 Max mm-hmm. Merge, um, the old Max Merge stuff. Um, sure. Now you're looking at that same 24 row planner, but you make it a exact emerge. Um, mm-hmm. Same 24 rows, but now you're going to be able to do probably about twice mm-hmm. as much, maybe even a little more with that planner than you did mm-hmm. beforehand. When you look at that from your personal perspective, are you more of a, mm-hmm. I'll take my, my 24 row to a 16 row and just go faster and do the same amount of work or I'm going to go ahead and jump that 24 row and do twice as much work and, and get done faster. Sure. I, I think Casey, my general thought and again, as you said, this is a personal opinion, not a, not a banker's opinion. If I look at myself personally, most of the time, Casey, I need to probably concentrate on being bigger, excuse me, being better before I get bigger. Now, there's a lot of things that factor into that, though. If if I'm trying to make that decision, and I know that looking down the road there's going to be some additional acres, then I'm thinking go ahead and increase size potentially as well. If I were going to, or if I'm facing labor challenges where my time needs to be divided a little bit more, I need to be more efficient in what I do with my time. I've seen producers use that as justification for utilizing going to a 24-row, say, over a 16-row. And honestly, I think that's a very smart one producer I know in particular did that. I think it was one of the best decisions he'd made in a good while. So, Casey, I I think that 
you know, obviously then it comes into play as well. You know, what size corn head do you have if you're side dressing nitrogen? What size rigs you have there? So potentially that comes into play as well. But I think if if I'm on the leading edge of technology and I'm doing a good job with my 16-year-old, maybe I've got some technology there, but I recognize there's increased technology, just as you said, you know, changing, uh, changing the changing the metering system, something to that effect. I think you look at that, and I would be personally speaking, I would be prone to assuming that there's a potential justification for going up in size at the same time, and I wasn't going to strain my tractor horsepower then, yeah, I would probably have a tendency, Casey, to, to look at maybe upgrading that planter to a little bit bigger size as well. Yep. So there's lots of questions that I have about, you know, okay, there's going to be some opportunities that kind of come up for for uh, mm-hmm. some some producers across the board, big or small. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for everybody that pop up. Folks are retiring, and those kind of yes. things are, are popping up a lot. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you're talking with a, with a producer now and – they have some opportunities that that present themselves that um, may may leverage them a little bit more than than maybe they feel comfortable with, but it's the opportunity that maybe to get that adjoining section of ground next to them or that quarter or whatever it is that kind of gives them that opportunity to really jump yes. up to the next level. When you're having that conversation with a customer, how does that work? Well, you said something in your statement that is the absolute key, and that is what are they comfortable with? Now, I don't think any of us ever get to the point in life that we want to be by staying within our comfort zones. I'm, I'm a huge believer that we all need to be pushed out of side of our comfort zones sometimes. Now, there's times that that needs to be tempered, though. And if a person gets to the point that, candidly, they're incurring more leverage than they're really truly comfortable with. They shouldn't get to that point. There, there need to be some other things looked at. Now, if I put that statement aside for a moment, I think Casey, the one of the worst things a producer could do right now is fail to look three to five years down the road. Don't don't concentrate. On solely on where we are in 2019 because, you know, we, we've seen what we thought were bad years turn into really good years. We don't know how this year is going to end yet. We, we don't have any way of knowing that. So I think it's imperative, and I think you make a great point, Casey. There's producers out there that are going to be retiring. We know that historically, at least over the past two or three years, there's not been a lot of land come on the market, but we don't know when that may change. So I think it's imperative to, as part of your planning process, and Casey, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in short-term goals and longer-term goals. I think that in addition to one-year plans, a producer needs to have a three- to five-year plan of where do we think we want to be? What opportunities can we identify? What farms do we know of in our area that, that we think may be coming up for rent or may be coming up for sale? I think it's imperative that those discussions be had, and that will help that producer because if they do have a little bit of trepidation about 
incurring some additional leverage to acquire some additional land. Having that conversation now before that opportunity becomes available is going to go a long way toward helping them feel more comfortable when the time comes to pull the trigger if this is a more of a long-term plan that they've worked through as opposed to something that, well, I hadn't thought of this and it's kind of hitting me by surprise. Well, I really need to do this. So I, I think that long-term strategy needs to be thought through well. And one of the things, Casey, that I want to comment on a little bit, over the past two or three years, something that I've seen, and this is a fantastic trend. This is exactly what needs to happen. I have more and more discussions with producers today where they have, number one, a succession plan in place or are in the process of developing one, or number two, they have that three- to five-year plan in place. Now, we none of us have the perfect crystal ball. We know that three- to five-year plan is not going to materialize exactly as it's written. But just having the preparation and having the thought about what that may do from a financing standpoint, what additional equipment will they need? How will the financing for that occur? Those type things makes that producer much more comfortable in either exercising that option when it comes or maybe Casey being more comfortable in declining the opportunity. Sometimes I won't say this. And again, I'm, I'm making a personal statement here. Some of the best things I've ever done in life are what I didn't do as opposed to what I did. And if you have that thought through before, say the farm's coming up for sale that you kind of want, but you work through numbers and you realize, you know what, right now is not the time. When that opportunity comes up, passing on it will be a lot more comfortable if you've already kind of made that decision and you know why you're making that decision. Because worst case scenario, let's say things do get a lot better when that farm comes up three years from now, you can always go and update your plan and say, yes, I do want to go ahead and do it. But I think having that comfort of, yes, I think we want to do this, or I think we'd want to pass on this. I think that's important today. Yep. <clears throat> Definitely some good advice there, man. I think I'm kind of there with you. Some stuff that I've passed on to is um, actually were, were some pretty good, pretty good, pretty good life choices. Um, didn't think they were at the mm -hmm. time, but boy, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and boy, I was seeing clear that day. So, um, Alan, there's a, uh, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things to be aware of. Um, if you had one piece of advice right now to, to throw out to a producer, what would it be? Don't isolate yourself. There's a lot of stress right now in farming. And most of the time as human beings, when we have stress, I think the vast majority of farmers particularly, because they are the epitome of self-reliance don't isolate yourself whenever challenges occur make sure that you've got a good support system there spouse friends your church all those things and and i know casey that may sound a little bit unusual coming from a banker but over and above anything financial the human being in the equation is the single most important thing and I've seen some producers that have gone through challenges. Um, they isolated themselves from friends, family, again, church. It, it didn't turn out well. 
the the ones that tend to weather the storms best, Casey, are those that, that continue to maintain those relationships throughout the challenging times. So that would be the single most important thing that I would tell anybody. Well, Alan, thanks for being on the podcast. If folks wanted to reach out to you and pick your brain on a few things, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, Casey, as always, I really appreciate this opportunity, and uh, thank you very much. No problem, man. Well, Alan, I uh, hope hope you have a uh, have a good rest of the season here, and and uh, you get all your corn planted. You got all your corn planted? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that going on right now. Unfortunately, it's it's a uh, it's a bad deal. But yes, but yes. So, well, man, I appreciate you being on, and we'll uh, we'll catch you down the road, man. That'll be fine. Thanks, Casey. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century.